Today's service is going to be a little bit different than maybe what you're expecting. I saw some people in the chat saying um, that it's Palm Sunday, which is true, and that's super exciting. We totally forgot to mention that in the intro. Um, but I'm actually, I thought, like, I was like, I could talk about the triumphal entry and all the amazing things and how that was kind of like foreshadowing to uh, when Jesus comes back. But as I was reading through kind of the week ahead of when Jesus uh, was crucified, which would be the week before uh, what we celebrate as Easter, um, I was like, okay, what were the things that Jesus was teaching about during this week? And what were the things that were important for him to say to us during the, the last week before he was crucified? And so as I was reading through some of those things, because we are a week away from Easter, I thought it would be really cool to talk about some of the things that Jesus was teaching his followers about during the week before he passed away. Um, I'm really excited to preach today, actually. I didn't know, I'm usually pretty nervous to preach. Uh, today, I'm pretty excited because it's been a while since I've actually preached solo. Ben and I were here uh, a couple weeks ago doing um, our recap of our apprenticeship, but it's been a while since I've actually gotten to prepare a message for you guys and preach it. So I'm actually pretty excited. So I'm just going to get right into it. Uh, this story, as I was kind of saying, takes place the week before Jesus was crucified. And during that time, Jesus had been followed by a lot of people. People were kind of trailing him. Some of the religious leaders were following him around. A lot of people were following him around because he did so many amazing miracles and had so much wisdom. But there was a lot of questions that came his way. And he knew his life on earth was short. Like, he didn't have very much time left. And he had warned his followers, like, I think it was like three or four times, multiple times, that he was going to be crucified, but they weren't seeming to pick up on what he was saying. They weren't like almost recognizing what he was saying was true. But he was preparing them for not just his death, but for the responsibility that he was going to leave behind for them when he ascended to heaven to be with his father. And he often spoke using parables, which were basically like teaching stories. They were usually fictional. It's not like he was telling necessarily telling a story about someone something that actually happened, but they had these hidden truths in them and things that he was trying to get across to people who were listening. So he is speaking in parables, and today we're going to be going in the longest parable that Jesus taught in the book of Matthew called the parable of the bags of gold. Uh, it's found in Matthew 25, verse 14 to 13. So if you have your Bibles at home, you can open up to that um, so we can read it together. With this parable, there's this sense of urgency and warning that comes with it. Uh, it's a very clear picture of kind of what Jesus is leaving with his followers, the, th the teaching that he wants them to have with them after he's gone. And he's not just speaking those words to his disciples. That's the thing I really like about this, is that this extends to even now. So it's for everyone who would call themselves a follower of Christ. This is a message for you from Jesus himself. And so I'm going to read the whole thing for you today. If you have your Bibles, um, read along with me. If not, I think it's going to be on the screen. But it's in Matthew 25, starting at verse 14 and going to verse 30. It says, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another he gave two bags, and to another he gave one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work. He gained five more bags, and so also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five, 
Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. There's an exclamation mark there, so he was pretty excited about that. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with bankers, so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has, has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So I kind of wanted to read the whole thing so you got a, a big picture of what Jesus was kind of trying to tell his disciples. And then I wanted to go through it and pick out some of the things that we can gain from this as modern-day followers of Jesus. The parable opens with a master and his servants. So he has to go on this trip, and he's obviously quite wealthy because he has quite a few servants, but he has this partnership with his servants that allows him to actually give them a portion of his money so that he can still make money even while he's gone. So he's putting his money to work for him. He leaves his servants with different amounts of gold. Uh, some translations will say talents or minas, um, but for our purposes, we're just going to say gold and we're going to say that it's just a substantial amount of gold in each bag because there's some people who disagree on how much that was. Uh, to one servant, he gives five bags, and to one, he gives two, and the other, he gives one. And it says the reason why he does that is because of different abilities, right? You can, you can read that in there. It says each to his own ability. And then the master leaves to go on his journey. So Jesus is telling this story, and it's about what it looks like to follow him and to prepare for his return. Jesus is the master in the story. Christians are the servants. The master's leaving was when Jesus ascended to his father. So it's kind of a, almost like, not like it actually necessarily happened, but Jesus is paralleling things that actually do happen and trying to teach us something through it. So when he left to go to heaven, that was the master leaving. And the master's return is when Jesus will come again. The gold is the blessing, are the blessings, gifts, teachings, and time that God has invested in us, and it's also the good news of the gospel. So these are the things that God has poured into us, has invested in us, and he put those things there for a reason, that they would yield greater returns and benefit others. Those things that he's put in you are not just there for yourself, they're there for the benefit of others around you so that he would be glorified. And I find it really interesting in this story that we can gain so much understanding of not just who God is, but what he expects of us, right? Because we're actually in that in-between phase right now. The disciples were there with Jesus before he actually ascended, before the master left on his journey. But now, modern-day Christians and everyone since then has been in this period of waiting, of waiting for Jesus to return, that second coming that we talk about. And... If you actually want to look more into this topic, you can read the parable that takes place before this. It's called, it's about the ten virgins and the wedding feast. 
it's got the same message to it. It's about this preparation or this being ready for when Jesus comes back. And both of those parables have a lot of different things you can learn about what we should be doing in the meantime. So Jesus is communicating to his disciples and to us that he, we're going to be in a period of time where we won't have him physically with us, but we're going to be preparing for him to be back. We call this the second coming, and we're still waiting for this to happen. And in the meantime, Jesus has a purpose for each of us while we're here, while we're waiting. So this leads me to my first point of the story, which is that Jesus trusts us. Trust is defined as some, a deep confidence in someone or something. And the master, uh, you can see this in the story because the master didn't follow his servants around micromanaging what they did. He didn't say, well, you should probably invest this money here. You should probably not spend this money there. That would be a bad idea. You know, he wasn't there. He wasn't texting them every day being like, so how'd it go today? You know, how did it go yesterday? What are you doing? How much have you gained? Have you lost any? You know, he wasn't asking them a bunch of questions. He invested in them, he gave them a portion of his money to do something with, and then he trusted them, he trusted the investment that he had made in them, that they would be wise with what he had given them. And in the same way, Jesus trusts us. So I don't know about you guys, but I actually have a hard time accepting this truth. Finding like the idea of me saying like, Jesus trusts me is hard for me to actually hear because I'm like, I wanna point at all the ways that I've messed up and I wanna be like, God, but do you see my weaknesses? Do you see? all the areas that I sin? Do you see all the problems that I cause? How is it that you can trust me? Maybe you should be here micromanaging everything I do. You know, maybe you should be here taking me by the hand and showing me how to do all this stuff because obviously I mess up too much. But the master didn't do that. He, he left them with it and he trusted them with it. God isn't one who expects perfection. He just asks us to be faithful with what he's given us to do. And he knows there's going to be mistakes along the way. He knows that we're going to mess up. He knows that we're going to trip, we're going to fall, and we're going to need him to help us back up. But he doesn't micromanage us. He trusts us. He knows that we're going to fail, but he blesses us and invests in us and then pours into us even more knowing that. And I love that about our relationship with God, that he not only blesses us and invests in us, but he partners with us to do what he's put before us. He doesn't have to, but he does. The next verse that I have for you guys that kind of illustrates this is Numbers 12, 6 to 8. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over to that as well. He said, listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then are you, were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? I actually also looked this up in the Easy English version, which I really like the way that they worded verse 7. It says, he's the one that I trust to lead all my people. And so it's this idea of this deep confidence, this deep understanding that you can do this, right? And we always say, like, we could do all things through Christ, which is why I believe he trusts us so much, right? And even knowing that, that we are going to mess up, that we're going to do things wrong, he still entrusts us with responsibility and trusts us with these things. Moses served God faithfully, and God entrusted him to lead his people. He spoke to Moses face to face and not through dreams and had a relationship with him. And I kind of think of this in the, in the context of parenting. Um, if you guys have adult kids or teenage kids, you would understand this more than I do. But as your kids get older, you're constantly releasing control. Like when they're babies, you need to have a lot of control because they could get hurt. You know what I mean? Like you can't just be like, oh, I, 
here's the bottle, take care of yourself. Like your kid needs you to take care of them, to be re responsible for them. But as they get older and they gain more independence, they need to have more responsibility over their life and you need to release more and more control and give more and more trust. And so as your kids get older, you have to trust and let almost like trust that the investment that you've made into them and the things that you've poured into them are going to produce good decisions. It doesn't always work out that way, but you do have to let go in order to see what they're really like out in the world in order to give them a chance to grow. And so there's going to be a point with, with my kids and with everyone who has young kids where you're gonna be mostly hands off with parenting. You've done your job, you've invested everything that you can and sometimes your kids go out into the world and they totally make amazing decisions and do everything great or maybe they mess up a little bit along the way but sometimes that doesn't always go that way, but God still trusts us and we have to still learn to trust and let go. I have a good example of this. I'm in no way a perfect parent, but this is just kind of a funny story that I thought of. Caden um, was talking about, he's six now, so he's like, I should get to stay up later than my sister. She's only four. And so I was like, okay, well, she goes to bed at seven. They usually both go to bed at seven. Um, and I was like, but we need some time alone because I go to bed pretty early. So I was like, you can be in your room at 7 and 7.30 you could turn your light off. We'll tell you when 7.30 is. You could play in your room, you can read your book, you could do whatever. Um, but we're going to tell you when it's lights out. This, will, this kind of backfired a little bit because we forgot that he was still awake in his room. And we're just kind of like watching shows and stuff, like flipping through Netflix. And then Caden uh, comes down at like 10.30 and he's crying. And he's like, I'm so tired. I'm just going to turn my light off. I thought I could stay up till 7.30, but I just can't. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, I was like, I felt so bad for him. He was so emotional. Um, and so I was like, well, that didn't work out. So we tried actually putting an alarm clock in his room. And we're like, this, you know what 7.30 looks like. So when it's 7.30, we're going to trust you to turn your own light off because we're going to forget about you. Um, and so we're like, just like, make sure you like look at the clock and make sure when it's 7.30, it's lights out. So we did. We walked away. We gave him an alarm clock. We gave him his responsibility. And we said, okay, it's your job now. Um, but there was accountability, right? Because if I go up at 10.30 and his light is still on, then we're in trouble, right? Like that's not okay because he understands the expectation and so he needs to follow through, right? And so he's been very good about it for the record. He is really good about turning his own light off at 7.30. He usually comes down and says goodnight again. Um, so we kind of know he's going to bed, but even if like, even if I went up and saw his light on at 10.30, I'd find it really weird because he's actually taken that responsibility really well. Um, and so if I saw that his light was still on when I went to bed, I probably wouldn't trust him quite as much, right? Like I'd probably at least like double check and be like, okay, like looking around, is he still, is his light still on, you know? But because he's shown me that he can be responsible and he's shown me through the, the things that I've invested in him that he's making good choices, I feel like I can step back even more and just let him do his own thing. So this brings me to my second point from the story is that Jesus has appropriate expectations. So God doesn't paint us all with the same brush. I'm going to explain this in a second. We see in the story that the master gives different levels of responsibility for each servant according to his ability. He didn't give the servant who had been learning from him the longest 
just one bag of gold because he knew that that would be boring for that servant because he was used to doing more. He had been trained to do more. And he had been with the master long enough that he could probably invest that and make like quadruple what he had, right? Because he just had been with the master for a long time. Just like he didn't give the one who had been with him for the least amount of time this huge impossible task that is just gonna discourage him and cause him to like fail right away. Like he gave them appropriate difficult challenges for where they were at. It's the same way for us in our walk with God. We're all at different places in our faith, right? It's not that some of us are better and some of us are not as good. It's just that some of us are new, right? Like some of us have been walking with Jesus for decades. Like they've, you've just been with the Lord and you've known him since you were like five and you've been serving him faithfully since you were like five and now you're in your 80s. And God has like all this, like under, he's, he's poured all this understanding into you and all he's invested all this time into you and all this wisdom into you. And now there's this expectation of you can do more because you have more. And then with somebody who's known Jesus for, for less time, it's not that he's like, well, I don't love you as much. I don't value you as much. It's just you haven't had the training. You haven't had the time with him where you've walked with him consistently and he's been able to pour into you and invest in you and give you those things so that you can be able to do those things. Doesn't mean that you'll never get there. That's just where you're at. And so because God has invested in, in some of us a little bit more, he gives us a little bit more responsibility. And he's going to continue to do that as we grow in our faith. It's never going to just kind of cap off, cap off at five bags of gold. It's going to kind of, as you grow and as you learn, you're going to continue to get more and more responsibility. And so uh, we won't mature to the point of not needing God's help, but we will continue to mature through relationship with him. And as we do that, he's going to continue to push us out of our comfort zone and ask us to do more. So I want to reiterate, it's not about performing for God, but letting God actually live and work through us, about having a strong enough relationship with him that we would trust him enough and want to obey him. Uh, John 15 verse 5 says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. So the idea of expectations or Jesus having expectations sounds scary, but it's not about works. It's about love. It's about this relationship and it has nothing to do with earning something. It's about loving God so much, loving Christ so much that we want to obey what he asks us to do. And each of us has been given something. So sometimes we think, well, I don't have anything to offer. That's not true. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, you have something to offer. God has an expectation that whatever you have, whether it's two bags of gold, one bag of gold, whether it's a quarter, that you will use that to glorify him. And God has an expectation that we'll do something with that investment that he's made in us. So this doesn't, this doesn't mean that, you know, you became a Christian this morning. You have to have it all figured out. You have to know this entire book backwards and forwards. And you just have to know exactly what God wants you to do. That means that as you take steps towards following God, more and more you learn what he has for you to do. And it's always going to be appropriate to where you're at. God isn't going to ask you to do something impossible but he will ask you to step out of your comfort zone. He's going to ask you to trust him consistently. And so what ends up happening is, say your comfort zone is here, 
God asks you to step out of it, your comfort zone gets bigger. And then he asks you to step out of it again, and your comfort zone gets bigger. And so every time God asks you to do something, he's slowly expanding what you're comfortable with doing, and he's slowly growing what you're capable of doing. But he's going to prepare you, and he's going to have appropriate expectations for you along the way. We always say this to the teens, um, that God holds us to different standards based on our responsibility. And so that means leadership, for example, if he's trusted you with a family or children and you're leading a family, the expectation over you is a lot higher than someone who isn't because you have these young lives looking up to you. You're molding them, you're shaping them. There isn't a person alive who wasn't shaped by their family. It doesn't matter if it was good or bad. You've been shaped by your family because your, your parents led you right? And same thing with if you lead um, a Bible study group, or if you lead Sunday school, or if you lead, if you're a pastor, if you're a leader in your workplace, people are looking up to you, people are following you, and so the expectation over you for you to live that life that follows Christ is higher. The verse that kind of backs that up is James 3.1, and it talks about how not many of us should become teachers, and that's kind of explaining almost like teaching people. It doesn't matter what context that is, right? It could be teaching people about God. It could be teaching people um, anything. When you're leading somebody else, the expectation is higher because not many of us should become teachers who we who teach will be judged more strictly. It says that in the Bible. Because people are looking up to you and you're leading them. It only makes sense. I kind of think of like if you're a manager at a business and you have two employees, one of them that's been there for 10 years and one of them that's been there for a week. If the one who's been there 10 years and, and knows the rules and knows everything is all of a sudden coming in late and wrecking a bunch of stuff and, and just stops caring about their job and doesn't care, doesn't take caution with the things that they do, you're going to hold that person to a higher standard of accountability because they should know better right? There's certain things that people who've been in a position long enough should know. And it's not that God's like, you know, waiting to smack someone on the wrist. It's just that he, he has poured more into you. He has trained you more. And he has an expectation that you will do something with what you've been trained to do. He has, he doesn't set us up for failure, but he has appropriate expectations of us. It's just like with my four-year-old, Presley, I'm not going to give her an alarm clock and say, here, at 7 o'clock, you can put yourself to bed. She doesn't know what 7 o'clock looks like. I'm pretty sure she doesn't know what the number 7 is. And if I did that, I'm going to be setting her up for failure, right? And, she's gonna, and then if I go in there and I say, why aren't you in bed? It's 7 o'clock. That isn't really fair of me to do because she doesn't understand what time, what time looks like and how to actually make herself succeed in that responsibility. It wouldn't be fair of me to do that. Jesus has appropriate expectations of us. My next point is that God or Jesus wants us to be active and take risks. The first two servants in the parable, it says they eagerly went to work, right? As soon as the master gives them their money, he was like, they were like, let's go, let's get to work, let's do this. They went out and they put their money to work. They were enthusiastic. They put in some effort. They probably took some risk. They tried their best. They were industrious. Maybe they made some mistakes along the way. They might have lost some a little bit because it says in the story that the master didn't come back for a long time, right? So maybe they lost some money. Maybe they lost all, like, all but one bag of gold and then they gained it all back, right? They took some risks. There were some ebbs and flows. 
they trusted their master and they knew that he had trained them to do this and even if they made mis mistakes, they weren't going to stop trying. They trusted their master that they wouldn't be punished for every mistake and they acted in confidence because they knew their master well. The third servant, in contrast, was very inactive and fearful. Instead of choosing to invest his money somewhere where it could make his, his master more money, choosing to be active and take risk, the third servant buried his one bag of gold until his master's return. He was lazy, he didn't want to do the work it took, and was afraid to use what had been given to him to bring glory to his master. We don't know all the reasons why he did this. Maybe he was afraid of failure, he didn't know his master as well as he claimed, maybe he didn't trust his master, maybe he didn't actually want to serve him. Maybe he was scared of what people would think if he did something wrong or he was afraid of being punished. But either way, he was inactive and fearful instead of being active and taking risks like the other two servants. One thing we learn through scripture is that fear is a disabler. It's not an enabler. Anytime that you feel fear, you will freeze or you will run. And that is not what the master is asking the servants to do. The servant found himself disabled by his fear, so he did nothing with what he has been given and was more concerned with his own security than what his master expected of him. Matthew 16, 25 to 27 says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their own soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. If we believe that we can't do anything with what we've been given, or we just don't think God expects us to do anything with what we've given, we're deceiving ourselves. This indicates that we have a lack of faith in Jesus, and we don't believe we can do all things through Christ. There's a quote that I really like, and it says, a ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are for. A silent, inactive Christian is safe, but that's not what Jesus wants us to be. That's not what he asks of us. And I want to reiterate that we don't believe in salvation through works, but we do believe that through your salvation, you will do what God asks you to do, because you love him. My final point from the story is that Jesus will bless us according to our faithfulness. As we wrap it up, we see that the master comes back. He returns. And this is the part of the story that brings in accountability. Yes, the master trusted them. He didn't micromanage them like I was saying at the beginning, but he also held them accountable for what he had entrusted them with. Like when I go upstairs and make sure that my kids are sleeping when I, before I go to bed, I trusted them, but they're also accountable to me as my children. The master brings his servants before him and he asks them to explain what he did, what they did while he was away. The first two servants have doubled their master's investment. They've worked hard, they've made some risks, and it has paid off. Each of these two servants is commended and encouraged by the master in the same way. He says, well done, good and faithful servants. He says, he says this to each of them and he gives them even more responsibility. His relationship with them grows and he trusts them with even more of his estate. 
But then the third servant comes, and I just want to read. He has this kind of defensive, almost like apologetic tone, and you can tell that he knows he's done something wrong. I'm just going to read what he says really quickly. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. So he, he's apologetic and defensive, and he characterizes his master in a way that is untrue and unfair. He knows he's failed, and he's hoping to avoid punishment. He's trying to justify his lack of action and his mistakes that he's made and his lack of risk. The other two servants, we can tell that he's being unfairly characterized because the other two servants aren't afraid to be punished, right? Even though they've made some, they probably made some mistakes, they could have easily lost some of that investment. They weren't afraid. They were excited to come to him and show them what they had done. They had done, he, they had done everything he'd asked of them, and even if it didn't go according to plan, they knew that they had tried. The master's response to the third servant is to call him wicked and lazy. His trust with this servant has been broken. The master says, he uses his servant's own words against him, and he says, since you knew I expected you to do something with what I gave you, with what I invested in you, why didn't you do it? Like, he almost like turns the question back on him. And he takes the bag of gold from the man, and his relationship with him is now broken, and he is thrown out. He gives the bag of gold to the man who had five bags in the beginning. So like I said, this isn't about being better than someone else or having more than someone else. It's about being faithful. Faithfulness is being firmly devoted to relationship with God and to his purposes. The servant with five bags and the servant with two bags had different amounts, right? But they were both given the same good and faithful servant. Well done. And they were given the same reward. They were both given more. Because they were faithful with what they had, they were given more. Because they had been devoted to their master and his purposes. Colossians 3, 23 to 24 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Everything you do is for God. Sometimes we don't think about it that way because people will do things to us and we want to react, we want to respond in a way that is to get back at them or to do something to get them back for what they've done. But how you treat your family, how you treat the people in traffic on Columbia Avenue, how generous you are, how forgiving you are, maybe it's directed towards people you can see in flesh and blood and not specifically at Jesus, but everything that we do should be done as if it was being done to Christ. The third servant was not doing everything as if it was to Christ. And this is the part of the parable that is prophetic, because this part hasn't happened yet. We haven't actually seen our master return yet. He's still in heaven. But Jesus is going to return, and no one knows the day or time. But one day he's going to return and he's going to call all of his servants before him. And that's us as Christians. And he's going to ask us to give an account for what we did with what he invested in us. How faithful we were with what he had given us. Did we try? 
Did we take risks? Did we say yes when he asked us to step out of our comfort zone? Were we obedient? Did we do our best with what he trusted us with? Did we care for those around us? Did we do everything as if we were doing it for him? Or did we become lazy and fearful? Did we hide away the bag of gold that God invested in us? Did we bury everything that he invested in us so deeply that we can't even remember where it is anymore? If there's no risk, then there can be no gain. If we bottle these things up and we don't allow those things to come out, we will never see the benefit of God's investment in us. And we won't get to be a part of what he's doing. Did we trust Jesus wholeheartedly, knowing that he isn't going to punish, punish us for trying, even if we mess up? Are we willing to surrender again and again to his will? Are we preparing for his return? Jesus felt that it was important to teach his disciples, his followers, about this before he was crucified. And it extends to his followers today. The good news is, is that it's not too late, right? We're still in the middle. We're still in that in-between, that waiting phase. It's not too late to learn from the story in the book of Matthew, the things that Jesus was teaching his followers. If you felt like during this message that you've buried those investments, that you've, you've hidden those things, you haven't allowed those things to grow, you haven't even allowed yourself to grow, it's not too late to dig it up and put it to work. It's not too late to start asking God, what do you expect of me today? What is it that I can do for you today? How can I love people? How can I serve people? How can I grow? What is that one step out of my comfort zone that you want me to take today? And the best part is, is that you have a community of people who want to support you and help you and teach you in different ways, especially your pastors, James and Maria, of how to do that. You don't have to do that alone. So if that's you today, um, I want to pray for you specifically. And wherever you are, whether it's in your home or outside, on your way to work, wherever you are, I just want you to symbolically raise your hand if that's you, if you've buried those investments. And I just want to pray for you. God, I just thank you so much for this message today. I thank you for your church. Wherever we might be today, God, we know that you are with us that your spirit is with us, God. And we thank you so much that, that you can teach us from your word, even today. Even though you spoke these words thousands of years ago, we can learn from them and we can redirect and we can ask you to strengthen us for what you have for us, God. And so I pray for each person that raised their hand, uh, saying that they have buried those investments, God. That they have buried that bag of gold that you've given them, that you've asked them to invest and God, we just ask for each of them, that you would give them direction, that you would speak to their hearts, that you would help them to know uh, where you want them to go, God, and help them to be able to step out in obedience in that, God, that they'd be faithful with what they've been given, and that they would do the best, and even if they fail, that they would do their best to try and continue to trust you that you're going to lead them and guide them and help them up when they fall. And we just thank you for the service today. Thank you for the worship, God. And we pray that you bless each one of us as we go about our day. In Jesus' name.